How many Mac Daddy Light people do we have in this room? How many Mac Daddy Light people? How many people do we have in the room that when somebody drives by your house, that you try to set your house up, that when a family drives by your house, the kids in the car go, oh, look at that house. Daddy, why don't, why don't our house look like that? And then the wife says, she adds more tension to the conflict, yeah, honey, why don't our house look like that? Do we have any Mac Daddy Light people in the house? Y'all are sorry, you know that? There are some of us who just want to be like Mac Daddy. Man, I listen, I almost brought, what is that thing that they got these days, you know, that little shower light? You know, I like that. Don't y'all like that? You stick it up out there in the yard, just lights everything up. Now, I hear that the airplane people don't like it too much. I just have to have me five or six of those, and, and that just does away with all that, having to put up all those lights and all that time and effort. And not only that, it, it, all the pulling it down, because whatever you put up, you've got to pull down, right? And listen, let me tell you ladies something. Y'all always have all these things that you want, but you remember who's got to put it up and who has to take it down. Everybody always has the likes, but then when it comes down... Now, I did see the lady on TV from, from, from Ocala. Did y'all see that? She said, I don't want my husband touching my lights. He'll mess them up. 63-year-old <laughs> lady crawling around on the, up, on the top of the house. Uh, I thought to myself, she is out of her mind. She's going to fall off. But her husband said, listen, I just learned to let her do it. That's all. Just go ahead and let her do it. Christmas traditions. Christmas traditions. There's probably some pretty off-the-wall Christmas traditions in this room, things that you have grew up doing. Um, I remember his, his family growing up and uh, some of the grandkids getting together, those that live close, closest. We'd go to Grandma's and put up the Christmas tree. And, and uh, we would make popcorn and we would string popcorn. Do you guys remember that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that was before Walmart, right? <laughs> and uh, we, would, we would take and we would make homemade or ornaments. You remember that? And there was plenty of time to make homemade cookies. Can you smell it? Not a lot of time to do that stuff these days, is there? We're so busy with other things that seem to take us away from celebrating the real significance of Christmas. We talked about last week, why don't we go back and look at some of the carols of Christmas because it used to be that we used to grow up and everybody would just load up on a, you know, load up on a wagon and go caroling. That was before they had what you call subdivisions where I was growing up. They didn't have subdivisions. You just loaded up on a tractor and you'd go from house to house to house and and you'd sing Jack and Arlen and that group of that small group did that the other day except they didn't go to houses they went to the to the nursing home and their group sang for those at the nursing home a lot of tears the other night people that hadn't sang for a long time joined in and sang and uh, sweet time our group is, has the ability, and we're going we're gonna to go tonight and carol, and carol some. But we said, why don't we, why don't we go back and look at some of, the, some of the carols of past and, 
And as we, as we make our way towards Christmas, why don't we talk about some of those carol, carols and where they came from and maybe the significance. And last week we, we talked about um, O Holy Night and, a, and what a difference a new day in Christ makes. Today, why don't we pull out another one and why don't we look at O Come, o come All Ye Faithful. You know, I, as I did some research, what I, what I learned was that um, for many years, they didn't really know exactly where, where the, the origin of, of the song until there were some manuscripts that, reco- that were recovered that revealed that it was written in 1744 by a, na- a man by the name of John Francis Wade. He also put, the, put it to music, and it was called Adeste Fidelis, but it was translated into English. And about 100 years later, in 1841, by a man by the name of Frederick Oakley, and that's where it got the name, O Come, All You Faithful. Why don't you listen to this version of it?
start thinking about the power of Christmas and the majesty of Christmas, and uh, some of you are wiping the tears from your eyes, <clears throat> sometimes it's really hard to be joyful, isn't it? Sometimes it seems like the tensions of Christmas have a way of just pulling the joy right on out, sucking the joy right on out of you, and instead of the joy, it's more the stress and the depress that we end up feeling as a result of the pressures that are all around us. I mean, look, look here. He, he's calling out, O come, O, o come, all ye faithful, joyful, and triumphant. But that's really not how we feel a lot of times. But who is it the Scripture talks about that Jesus calls out? I want to look at a couple of past Scriptures really, really quickly. Look in the New Testament at Matthew Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, because one of the first groups that he calls out, as Jesus calls out, uh, is those that are weary and, and burdened. Matthew eleven twenty-eight says, Then Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and carry a heavy burden, and I will give you rest. And I don't know what your weariness and what your burden comes as a result of it. I mean, it could be something that you caused. It might be because of your own foolishness. It might be because of the foolishness of somebody else. Your weariness might be as a result of the demands or expectations of others that are around you. Your weariness might be come because you just can't seem to please those that are in your sphere of, of influence. And your weariness may come because you're seeking after, after God. But Jesus, first of all, calls those who are weary and he says, come to me. And amidst the chaos of the moment, I will give you peace and I will give you rest. And yet, that's not always the place that we turn, is it? The second thing that we see that Jesus calls, Matthew chapter 9, sinners. As I look across this room, I, this is all of us in this room. All of us in this room. And he calls us. And in Matthew 9, 12 and 13, it says, When Jesus heard this, he said, Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Then he added, Now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want to show you mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I've come not to call those who think they are the righteous, but the ones that know they are the sinners. See, if we really wanted to rewrite this song and, and make it real, this is maybe what it ought to say. Come all you sinners, those who are weary, burdened, sinners, Come to Bethlehem. Yeah, sinners, weary, and broken, you, you come to Bethlehem. But the good news is that Jesus, even though he may meet us as a sinner and broken and weary and worn, that's really not where he wants to leave us, is it? For those of us that have trusted Christ, those of us that have believed, those of us that have a relationship, when we come to that place, sharing that we recognize that we need Jesus and we call on him, the Bible says and teaches us that there's something that happens in our lives. Bill O'Brien, 
you're a different man than what you were before you met Jesus, aren't you? You're a different person. Yeah. Susan would say, you're a different man. And your wife, Susan, is a different person since coming to know Jesus. She's a different person. Yeah. Joe, Mary, you're a different man than when you, before you knew Christ. But after accepting Christ, you, you became a new person. Amanda, the same thing for you. You're a different person than what you were. Jim Fraser, I know that you're a different man because I've heard your story. Yeah. Lisa's always been perfect though, right? <laughs> but there's something that happens in our lives when, when, we, when we recognize that need and we fall, our, we fall before him and we say, Jesus, I need you, I believe. There's something that happens in our lives and Paul describes that by saying, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old is gone and the new life has become. And this, there's, in layman's terms, man, listen, where there's Jesus, there's change. When you meet Jesus, there's change. Brandon Bristow, when you meet Jesus, there's change. Justin, when you meet Jesus, there's change. When you come to meet Jesus, Michael, there's change in your life that happens. You can't stay the same when you meet him. There's something that, that happens in your life. You're new in Christ. And new doesn't mean reconditioned. It doesn't mean refashioned, but new means new. But when you come to Christ and you become this new creature, then, then what happens? What is it that, be, that begins to happen? And what is it that Jesus helps us to become? What are some things that Jesus helps us to become? And let's take, let's take those three words that we see, O come, all ye faithful joyful and triumphant. Let's take those words really, really quickly because Jesus helps us to become, he, he helps us to become more faithful. Dan, Hebrews chapter, chapter 12 says this, it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down especially that sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. And we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who, who what? Initiates and perfects our faith. I mean, it's great to have the testimonies of the past, and it's great to have those that are walking alongside of us now in the present. But where does that faith come from? Where does he say it's initiated from? Jesus. And who is it that perfects it? Jesus. But how does he do that? In Romans chapter 10, it says that faith comes from hearing, that is hearing the word of God, the good news about Christ. And if I were to define faith, we define faith a lot of times this way. And Leanne, I know you've probably got this marked down someplace. What faith is forsaking all, I trust him. That's what faith is. And faith isn't something that we're able to conjure up. Something, it's not something that we're able to manufacture. But faith is something that Jesus himself initiates and Jesus himself perfects. God's word builds us in our faith. And it's in those times of being stretched. And what I, how many of you have been stretched in your faith just this past week? And those things that you say that you believe have been tested They've been challenged. They have been, they have been, uh, they've been, they've been stretched. 
It's those times when things don't go as planned, when God doesn't show up the way that you think God will show up, is when those prayers, Hillary, doesn't seem to be answered the way that you think they should be answered. And what do you do? Some of you know that John Johnson's mom passed away this past week, and one of the passages that we shared in reference to her life was, let us hold swervingly to the hope that we profess, because he who promised is faithful. I'm going to tell you what, sometimes in the midst of the difficulty, it's hard to hold on. But Jesus is the one that helps us to remain and to be faithful in those times. Jesus is the one that, that helps us not to let go. To help us understand that he who promised is, is faithful. But what do we do in those times? Where do we turn when, we're, when, we're, when we feel like the walls are, are caving in? What do we, what do we, where do we turn when that, that bad report comes? Or, or when that, that, bill, that extra bill comes in and there's not enough money? Or where do, we, where do we turn like the phone call I got this morning when things last night went haywire in the house? Where do you turn? Isaiah 43, 2. When you go through those deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through the rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. <laughs> I've faced that, I've faced that stretching. Rob, I've faced that testing. I've faced those, those struggles. And so many times in the midst of the struggles, we want to put it off on somebody else. It's somebody else's problem. You ever done that to your spouse? You know, the reason I did that was because of you. You made me do it. It's hard to recognize the fact, Sandy, that we are sinners. That we're not good people that do a little bit of bad every once in a while, but we're, by nature, bad people that do some good every once in a while. And the only thing good in us is Christ himself. But he initiates and he perfects. And how many times do we need to go back to the word to find that encouragement and strength, reminding ourselves that that God is our power and that he is our protection and that regardless of whatever storm it is that we may face, that he hasn't abandoned me, but he helps me to become more faithful. Jesus also helps us become joyful. You can write that word down, joyful. Oh, come all ye faithful, joyful. Now, now joy isn't one of those things in our lives that's, that's just natural, but it's a work of the Holy Spirit of Christ inside of us. An orange tree produces what? I'm not trying to be funny. What does an orange tree produce? What does a banana tree produce? What does a grapevine produce? What should Christians produce? Think about that. Paul, in his writings, said, you know, listen, in our lives there are certain things that be, should be the product of, that should flow out of our lives. And one of those things is joy. Galatians chapter 5, he talked about some of those things, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And he gives us a whole list. So a relationship with Christ helps us to become joyful. 
And there's some people that would say, you know, I, I don't really know about that Jesus stuff, but man, I, I sure am glad I got that Christmas bonus the other day, and I'm pretty, I'm pretty joyful about that. But that's not joy. I mean, that's not joy. What happens if you didn't get it? See, what happiness is, happiness is a, is a result of the happenings that happen in and around you, the circumstances, but joy comes from Jesus. Happiness is a result of happenings. Joy is a result of Jesus. Say that with me. Happening is a result, or happiness is a result of happenings. Joy is a result of Jesus. Happiness is a result of happenings. Joy is a result of Jesus. The prior in Proverbs says, Laughter can conceal a heavy heart, but when the laughter ends, the grief remains. Some of you have been there. You've been at that place. Joy comes from knowing Jesus. It's not something that can be manufactured. It's impossible. Only, only Jesus. Have you ever met somebody that even in the most difficult of all circumstances, there was a, there seemed to be a peace and a joy in their life? Jesus. How many of us seem to get uptight, to get discombobulated, to get confused, to get nervous when things aren't going the way that we want them to go? Yeah. But where does joy come from? Jesus. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It comes from Him and Him alone. In Luke chapter 2 in the scriptures, it said this in reference to the angels as they come to tell the shepherds. It said that that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord surrounded them, and they were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said, for I bring you good news that will be great, what? Joy to all people. To some people, to all people, to all people, the Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. The birth of Christ was a reason for great joy, not just for some, but for all. That even in the most difficult and most horrible of all circumstances, there's a sense of peace because I know that Jesus has got it. I know that Jesus is in control. Third thing is this. Jesus' presence helped us, helps us to live triumphantly or victoriously. Faithful, joyful, triumphant. What's the opposite of triumphant? Defeat? Loser? Conquered? Left alone, an individual is what? It's difficult. How many of you guys are afraid of the dark? Be honest. Oh, so we don't have a lot of people that are afraid of the dark. 
There's a difference between being outside by yourself in the middle of nowhere and being with somebody and being in the dark. When you're outside, it's amazing the voices that seem to kick in and the bushes that seem to move when you're outside in the dark all by yourself. You with me? It's a whole lot better when you're with somebody and you're walking along that path with somebody. Being outside, I remember, I've heard an awful lot of voices. I've run very fast in the middle of the night thinking that something was after me. I'll always remember when Abby was a, a little girl, and I tell this from time to time, she used to call me into the bedroom, and she'd say, Daddy, Daddy, I'm so afraid, I'm so afraid. So I'd go into the room, and, and uh, she'd say, Daddy, there's a booger man in the closet. And I'd say, Baby, there's no booger man in the Yes, there is, yes, there is. So I'd go in there, I know there's no booger man in the closet. See, there's no booger man in the closet. You'd think I showed her Godzilla movies or something growing up, but we didn't do that. So then she'd say, he's under the bed, he's under the bed. And I'd say, no, baby, he's not under the bed. So I'd get down on my knees. I was younger at that time. And I'd look down up under the bed. <clears throat> no, baby, there's no. And she'd say, I'm still afraid, Daddy. I'm still afraid. And I'd crawl up in the bed with her. And I taught her Psalms 56.3. When I'm afraid, I will trust in you. When I'm afraid, I will trust in you and she would repeat that over and over and over again and finally she would say to me but daddy I'm still afraid and after a while she'd fall asleep and what I learned that it it wasn't the words that I taught her that made the difference but it was the presence of her daddy you with me yeah Jesus helps us to live triumphantly because we realize that whatever situation we may be facing, that we're not alone, that because of his presence that we are triumphant, that we are victorious. I was in a conversation um, this past week with, uh, with Jack Post um, because there's some, there's some words in the New Testament that deal with power. Um, some Greek words, and I wanted to see, um, Mr. Jack, come up. I wanted us to, um, to maybe talk about this just for a second as we close out, um, because there's a lot to be said about power, because I don't know if we really understand the power that's available to us being in Christ and what's available to us. So I thought maybe Jack would, would just for a brief second talk to us really quickly about that power and maybe a couple of the words, there's four words, and we're not going to have time to go through all of them, but some of the words in the New Testament in reference to power and what they mean, because we as believers in Christ have access to tremendous amounts of power that we don't even utilize so many times. So, Mr. Jack, you want to share a little bit about that? Sure. One of the problems we have in English is that we have words that mean so many different things and we misunderstand each other and miscommunicate a lot because we thought it meant something else and the person meant this instead. In the Greek language, they have words for all of those different things, different words, not just the way you raise your voice or the expressions that you use. So all those uh, words are available in the Greek New Testament, but when it's translated in the King James and other translations, they went back to the English 
summary words, and one of those words is power. Power means many different things, but in the Greek New Testament, there are four basic words that mean power. Other ones, too, but those basic four. And two of them are really important concerning what we've been talking about and also what we're saying. The first is called dunamis. Dunamis, from where we get the word dynamite, or a dynamic person. It has to do with action. It has to do with exceeding greatness beyond what we could do. We can't blow anything up, but dunamis can. Dunamis has the power to do the unbelievable. It's what I would say loaned to us by God. He never has given up his power, but he bestows dunamis on us so that we can overcome, so that we can persevere, so that he can use us as a testimony to accomplish the unbelievable thing in someone else's life through a witness of Jesus Christ. The dunamis can go through us to another person, and that person can receive Christ as Savior. Second major word is energia, from where we get the word energy. This has to do more with the overcoming kind of thing. Um, it is probably... Uh, the word we most would get at the moment of salvation, we are given energia, where in John 1.12 it says we have the power or the right to become the children of God. This speaks of potential, whereas dunamis is actual, actual action, and energia is more the potential. We teach kinetic and potential energy in science, and it's kind of similar to that. So energia is the actual uh, available through the Holy Spirit. And this is where our conversation was the other day. It's available through the Holy Spirit, but it's only available if you're walking in the Spirit. If you're being filled with the Spirit, the power is available. Otherwise, you are just as helpless as any other person. In other words, there's power that's available throughout this building, but unless you plug into it, you don't have access to it. Does that make sense? Okay. And we miss that a lot. That's the power that we're, we're and, not even aware of. Well, and the key to that is what? Obedience. Obeying God's commands puts you in line to for the Spirit of God to activate that power. And it's potentially there when you're saved, but then he activates it. So you can be a Christian and not be... Not have the energia. So you can be a defeated Christian. You can be one that nothing ever works for me. I've tried this. It hasn't worked. Always somebody else's fault. So the energy is what energizes the fruit of the Spirit. Hmm. But the fruit of the Spirit won't be coming out if we're not obedient. And we use the phrase, we don't have fellowship with God, or we break fellowship with God. What that really means is we don't have the energy. It's only there potentially, but we're unplugged from it. You have to ask forgiveness. You have to be in right relationship with him in order for you to plug in and have that source of power available to you so that people could say, I see the love, the joy, the peace, the long suffering, goodness, gentleness, meekness, temperance, and faith. I see those things coming out because that person must be plugged in. Hmm. And that's, that's really good. And I don't know if we need to go into the other ones because 
we just talking about the power, but so many times we miss out on the victory and the triumphant part of the Christian life because we are, we're always, we miss the submission, the humility part and the obedience part, don't we? Yeah. And so we always are wondering, why am I missing out? I mean, I'm spending time reading the Word, I'm going to church, I'm giving, I'm doing those parts, but there's something else that's missing. Obedience. And it's obedience. The obedience. I'm not plugged in. There's two more words that we'll just mention, but we won't get into in detail. One is called kreto, which is the ruling aspect of God, the controlling aspect where he oversees everything, nothing surprises him. That kind of authority and power is called kreto. Hmm. The third is called ichtus, ichtus, and that is the power to not do something. Um, delegated power to refrain, power of choice, the power of influence, that's ichthus. But all four of those words are mentioned in Ephesians 1, 19 and 21, where this is King James because it's not clear enough in NLT. I pray for you that the exceeding greatness of his power, dunamis, to usward who believe according to the working energia, of his mighty ichthus, power, kratos, which he wrought energia in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Ephesians 1, 19 through 21, all those words are one verse. Well, and so here you are. You can just stay here with me. We're fixing to close out. <laughs> okay. But in Christ, in Christ, Jesus gives us the power to become, to grow in our faithfulness, in our joy, and in victory. And yet, how many of us these days aren't living in victory? We're living in defeat. I mean, how many of us these days in Christ yet are living in defeat because we are not plugged in and we're not living victorious? I thought it was very interesting because several hundred years before Jesus was ever born, the words that were, that were written down, the prophecy in the Old Testament said, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He, is, he will rule in, with fairness and justice from the throne of, of his ancestors David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. That's pretty powerful, and that's pretty victorious, and that's pretty triumphant. And yet, those passages were written about a baby that would be born in a manger, in a cave, where animals um, uh, were straw and dung uh, and all that other stuff was at wrapped in swaddling clothes. And yet, the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the Prince of Peace, the author of our faith and our salvation, was born in those humble surroundings. 
You know, and I, it's easy for us just to pass through, O come all ye faithful, joyful, and triumphant. And I bet you've missed that, haven't you? Because that's not always the way that we live. So the next time you hear that song, forget about the guy who wrote it. You know his name now. His name was John Francis Wade. But remember, O come all ye faithful, joyful, and triumphant. Remember who Jesus called, that he didn't leave anybody out. The guy that I talked to this morning, man, he was beside himself. And I said to him, I said, man, I'm so sorry that you're going through what you're going through. But I just want to remind you of this. God doesn't run from us, but he runs towards us. And regardless of what you've done, the past is the past. There's nothing that we could ever do or say that would make our Heavenly Father love us any more or any less. That's a great word. But Jesus, he helps us. He helps us to live joyfully, to live faithfully, and to live triumphantly. And this Christmas season, in that midst of that time, whatever it may be that you may be experiencing, I want you to remember those words. And so when you get down in that funk and you start questioning and you start running through those questions in your mind that Satan wants to put those doubts, I want you to be reminded for those of us that are believers in this room, I serve a God that is triumphant and that he is powerful. And all I got to do is be obedient to him and plug in. I wonder whose life you'll have an impact in this next week. I wonder whose life this next week you'll be an ambassador to that will lead them to coming to know the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You know that old song, it says, Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Christ the Lord. Will you sing that chorus? Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Christ the Lord. For believers, it's a reminder. If you're here and if you don't know Jesus, what is it that keeps you from making the most important decision of all? And that's to trusting, to obeying. Father, thank you that, Lord, that your word is such a reminder to us of the hope that we have in Christ, in Christ alone. If there's somebody here that doesn't know Jesus, Father, even this day, I pray that we'd be reminded it's not by the religious things that we carry out that saves us, but it's only by the saving grace of Jesus Christ by believing in him. Father, I pray that if there's someone here today that doesn't know him, even this morning, they may come to me and say, today I want to know Jesus. I'm praying for those of us that are believers in this room that, Lord, we be reminded of to live triumphantly, to victoriously, to live um, faithfully and joyfully. 
I'm praying that as we walk out these doors, Father, that others will see that we are different. And Father, that we will be your ambassador. We celebrate this season not because of Santa Claus or gifts or toys or lights or anything else, but we celebrate because of the birth of Jesus. And may we be reminded of that. A carol, a carol we sing, but oh, come, let us adore him, Christ the King. In Jesus' name, amen.